It's the Toon Under Pod match review of the Aston Villa game. I'm Jack, as usual, and with me once again is Bobby and Ballarat. How are you doing, Bobby? Good, Jack. How are you doing? Good. Another long day for a Newcastle supporter in Australia. Uh, yes, yes, very much so. But it's always good when they win, mate. So, uh, yeah, how can we not be happy at this point? The days are the days are so much better, aren't they? The long days just seem to go that bit quicker. Absolutely. So regular listeners of the podcast and also some match-going fans will probably recognise the song that we use for our intro and outro for the pod. This is a tune by a singer from the Northeast who started to make a bit of a name for himself lately on the ever-improving music scene around Tyneside. So his name is Kieran Bow, and we're delighted to welcome Kieran onto the pod to chat with us today. Welcome to Monday Night in Australia, Kieran. How's things? Good, yeah. Thank you for having us. It's my first... Newcastle podcast I've done, so it's a pleasure, pleasure to join you. Brilliant, thanks for coming on. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk to Kieran about his music a bit, and then as he's a season ticket holder for Newcastle, he can help us review the Villa game from the perspective of someone who was actually at the game. So we'll be back and we'll get right into it after this. So first off then, Kieran, can you tell us whereabouts uh, in Newcastle law in the northeast that you're from and how come you follow Newcastle United? How long have you had your season ticket for? Um, yeah, so I've got to be careful um, when I say I'm from Newcastle. I'm from Gateshead, so I'll get to stick if I say I'm from Newcastle, so I'm going to be honest. Could um, be worse, could be worse. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> I've been following Newcastle since since I can't remember, really. I remember going to me. First game when I was about four year old, I think, or three or four, something like that. And it was actually against Villa. Um, can't remember what the score was, but it got to like the 80th minute. And I remember my dad kicking off because I was like whinging to go home because I was too cold. <laughs> um, but that's me probably earliest memory of following Newcastle. And I currently don't have a season ticket now. I did have one for six years, um, but for work commitments, I had to change. But I've been to uh, the past eight home games or whatever it might be. So I might as well have a season ticket. So, yeah. 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 And it's obviously been picking up a little bit lately for you going to the games. Been a little bit better lately. Much better. Much better. Um, I was going pre the Howe era and pre the takeover era. And it's just because it's a hobby and it's something I love doing. Um, but it is just a lot better now. And it's just, it feels more like it did when I was younger. Yeah. How, how old are you? Do you mind me asking? I'm 24, so I'm 25 this year. Um, yeah. I don't look it. I got ID for some um, paracetamol last week. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because um, everyone, as guys who do this pod, are all a little bit older. So, and we said um, about the Mike Ashley era that we feel sorry for kind of younger fans. So you'll have been like 10 or so when Mike Ashley actually came in. It's so about you've probably that, just yeah. got a little memory of um, the Bobby Robson team, maybe, and life beforehand. Little memories, but like again, I still remember going to those games. Um, and they were, you know, they were good times. I remember Lauren Mabeb being my favorite player, Nobby Solano. Like, there is little memories, but yeah, it's been mainly clouded by the Ashley era. Hmm. And just a little general comment on the atmosphere around St. James's Park over the last couple of months because on the TV, it's just looked like phenomenal. It's been absolutely outstanding. The war flags. So, how's it actually been to be there? It's surreal. It it just it it feels like Newcastle again. Like we've got the club back, obviously, but like it's just a different level. There's no groans. There's no moans. You see everyone that trying on the pitch, and then that reflects back into the fans. Um, there'd normally be like quiet periods, but there's there's been very few quiet periods like during the game. Like I think everyone's just buzzing. Mm. And the city as well. When when Newcastle are doing well, the whole city comes alive, doesn't it? The stadium's obviously right in the city centre. What's your kind of, uh, which pubs do you go to before the match? Do you go out or what do you do afterwards? What's your routine? Um, I don't really have a set routine. I do go to a pub. Um, so maybe the Free Bulls normally is me go-to. Um, sometimes go to Rosie's Bar. Um, or sometimes we'll go to, can't remember the name of it, but they do pizza. And it's just along from the stadium, but I can't remember the name. Um, I should. Um, but yeah, normally get some food, have a few pints, and then go into the ground. Mm. Yeah, it's one of the one of the big things I miss. Uh, I was just talking about that before. the The football is one thing, but it's the it's the atmosphere in the city and the day out is just absolutely 
outstanding. Even when the football um, is shit, you know, we, we still have a good day out and it's still a good excuse to meet your mates and have a have a drink and have a good time. So, yeah, that's one thing that being 10,000 miles away, you definitely miss that aspect of it. Oof, definitely. Bobby, you've been to St. James's a couple of times, haven't you, back in the mid-2000s as well? Yeah, yeah, so 2010-ish and, and a couple of times since. So, yeah, just bring back, bringing back memories then. Um, and I'm jealous, you know, I'd love to go back. And especially now, like you see it on TV and you're like, oh, my God, you know, like how good would it be right now to be in those those stands and, and being in that atmosphere? It's just uh, buzzing and, you know, Newcastle's a special city. So to experience it now with what's happening would be unreal. It's only going to get better as well, I think, if, uh, as times go. Yeah. So, Kieran, your song "Hinny," uh, your previous single, it's been played at halftime at St James's Park on at least two occasions now. It might have been a little bit more. So that's how kind of your it was through Twitter really was how I got became aware of that and how that song came to my attention. So, in my opinion, and I know Bobby shares this, that this song is just top class. Yeah, I'm not not just saying that. It's it's got that kind of that kind of like epic stadium kind of feel to it um how did it come to be that your song was played at st james's park and how does it feel for you sitting there at half time and you can hear your own song and your own words echoing around st james's park because to me that just sounds like heaven well first of all thank you for the comments about the song um really appreciate it um how it came to light i can't really like go into it too much because there's a, there's a fella who sorted it for us um, kind of out of the blue he messages saying look I can get Hinny on played at half time at St James's um, if you can send us a CD and I was like well, well like, wait there I had to take it in a little bit I was like really? Um, and yeah it's so his father is the announcer at St James's who says the players names etc um, and he's like yeah we'll get it done at the Cambridge and Watford games and I was like wow um, instantly got me tickets um, for the Cambridge game and then yeah got, it got played at half time but they did the announcement prior saying oh this is local artist Kieran Bo and I was just like oh no this is just I, honestly my head was just like mashed potato I just really couldn't comprehend what was going on it was emotional um, definitely a few tears probably a few tears at the performance that game as well <laughs> I was going to say yeah. <laughs> not the best game <laughs> it wasn't great but um yeah, mental. Um, I think the whole kind of time frame since we released the song has been a bit crazy, but yeah, that was that's a highlight. Because with the it's with the music, at, yeah, with the music at St James's, they've obviously got the same ones that they tend to play beforehand, but then they do they do maybe mix things up a little bit. I was wondering if it's something that the new owners have kind of done to try and do something to kind of showcase local acts or anything is that anything to do with it or do you think it might have been on the cards previously or do you not know i don't really know um i know they want to involve the community a lot more um like for instance we where i work we went um uh we went to st james the other week um because we've just done the partnership with newcastle united foundation and the speakers were there and showed that amiobi was there um and showed i was saying like they're just so like involved with the club but not just at club level, it's that at all levels and Newcastle United Foundation something they want to, you know, fund as well. Um, yeah, it seems like they want to involve everyone. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did something similar like that. But again, I wouldn't really know on that front. Hmm. So I read an article where you were explaining that Hinny is quite a personal song to you, as I guess most songs that people write are. So, and I don't know if, if people don't know this, but Hinny is um, the word Hinny is like a Geordie term of endearment. And one of the main lyrics is, don't worry, Hinny. So do you think that this could be applicable to Newcastle in the current relegation battle? Or do you think we should still worry? <laughs> oh, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm quietly content at how we're doing and how other teams around we are performing as well. Um, perhaps, perhaps I think we can be quietly confident, but I don't want to speak too soon. So you can change the lyrics to perhaps worry a little bit, Hini. <laughs> <laughs> Remix. 
So you've got another single coming out on the 25th of February, which I think, yeah, that's right, which is next week. So yeah. we've been lucky enough to have the opportunity to listen to it. Uh, it's another banger as far as I'm concerned. So here's a little little taster of that. That's a real toe tap Oh yeah, I was just tapping the tapping the hand there. It was good. I want to ask about that song. How hard did you have to work to get the line "Hadaway and Shite Man" into it? <laughs> um, you know what it is? Not very. Um, I've always like been rather like just truthful with my lyrics. I don't really hold back. And then the more songs I'm writing now, the more kind of the home, you know, the home comforts come into the songs, such as like Geordie lyrics and Geordie phrases. Um, and it was just like, I was angry at that time. I was like, right, how can I express my anger? And I was like, you know what it is? What do I say all the time? And what do we say is Geordie's all the time? So it wasn't too hard, to be honest. But obviously, it was a little bit harder to make a radio edit to get rid of the <laughs> shite bit. But we got around it. I don't. I don't actually think I've ever spoken to anyone who writes songs before and who writes music like that. So, um, what's your process behind? Do you do the music first? Do you do the lyrics first? How does it work? Um, it's always different. It's ever changing. Sometimes I pick up a guitar and I'll be playing the same things I've been playing for weeks. Or there'll be one day I play, pick up the guitar and something different comes out. But with this one, it was really strange. I went on a walk at dinner um, whilst working at home, like I normally normally do. Um, and I was walking like just down one of the streets and I just heard the riff in my head. I was like, why have I heard that in my head? Um, so immediately I just literally recorded myself whistling that riff, went back home, pick up the guitar and got it down and then got in the studio the week after and got the lyrics all around it and stuff and yeah it's, it's just ever changing i don't really have like a, a natural process really so that one is out next week the 25th uh what else have you got on the horizon as well as that have you got plans for an album or ep um we did an ep last year but that was without the management that we've got now um and it, it did okay for what it did i mean it was during covid um and we've got another five singles in the bank. And it's, I think it's just a case of we'll see how this one does then make my next move, really. Um, we've got, like, big festivals and gigs to announce um, soon, which we're really excited about. So, yeah. And have you got the same lads in the band as well that you play with all the time? Yeah, yeah, same people. So there's five of us uh, in total. Um, it's the same, same group of lads. And it's becoming more, like, tight-knit now as well. Mm. So Sam Fender obviously has been making making waves kind of worldwide, really. Um, and for us to see a Geordie like that doing so well, somebody who's so obviously a Geordie as well, like uh, <laughs> he wears it, he wears his, he wears it on his sleeve, doesn't he? He's, he's passionate about it. So he's kind of drawn attention to the Northeast music scene a bit uh, recently. So do you think it's in a, a good place at the moment? Um, and it must be quite exciting for you to be to be a part of that. 100%, and he's like the most humble lad in the world as well. Um, and he doesn't like shy away from where he's from, and he's proud from where he's from. And that gives us as like, you know, local Northeast musicians, like it gives us some hope really. And recently in the scene, like I've been to a few gigs of like your mates bands that I've been to see or, um, or just be playing gigs in general. And it just feels like there's a different buzz about the scene at the minute. Um, which can only be a good thing, so long may it continue, really. you just yeah. got to get drunk at St. James and then go on a, a breakfast show or something like that to get your name really out there, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to do it, like, definitely. You get, Doesn't sound like a bad to, thing, though. <laughs> Not at all. You get down to the strawberry, don't you, when something big happens? Oh, like, exactly. I mean, I'd love to be in a position where, you know, you're winning the Brit Awards and then you go into your local pub and you're putting it on a on a pint, you know what I mean? Like, just Maybe. take all the pint down. Daft. 
So is there anything else that you can think of that you would want us to tell kind of our Australian um, listeners that listen to this? Because we're going to keep um, retweeting and pumping out your music. So, <laughs> um, I don't know. I think if anyone's listened to Hini, it's like it's a slow burner. Like it, it's in your face towards the end, you know, like it's just a good build up. Whereas this one, we just wanted to um, be like, right, can we just get something out that just slaps in your face straight away? Um, which I feel like this song does, and it's a bit of a hit mover. So, yeah, um, give it a listen. I hope you like it. Um, yeah. What 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 would you define as your kind of style as well? Would you say it's kind of like indie or rock, or do you not kind of pigeonhole like that? Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, sometimes the word indie like can get thrown around all over, and like some categories can come under indie like and some categories can come under rock like the brit awards this week coldplay came under rock indie alternative and i would question that um but yeah i would say indie slash rock there's the heavy bits there's the light indie bits um probably a mix of both brilliant anything else to add there bobby before we get on to the villa game uh two things just on hinny i had to ask the group chat what that meant <laughs> I had no idea. I, heard, I think I heard the music. I was like, this is awesome. But what does Hinny mean? Like, that's That was unreal. Um, and my two daughters, I've got a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, and we do sporting events every day. And every time we hop in the car, they have to hear Hinny. They just, it has to be blasted wow. on. So you've got two little fans that absolutely love that. Not, I'm the biggest fan, to be honest. But um, yeah, it gets blasted in the car every single day on Spotify. So yeah, they love hey, it. Appreciate that. I really do. Um, sending me love to your family for that like definitely we'll do mate we'll do keep up the good work right we will have a short break and then we'll get into talking about the latest Newcastle United victory which is becoming a bit of a, a bit of a habit which is good uh, the winner go over Aston Villa we'll be back after this so Newcastle United have won their third game in a row which a couple of Weeks ago, even, I don't think anybody would have thought that was uh, likely or possible. It's the first time that Newcastle have won three games, Premier League games in a row since November 2018 under Rafa Benitez. It's the first time we've had successive Premier League home wins for the first time since December 2019. When you think about that, that's that's like two and a half years almost where we ha- didn't win two home games in a row. That's That's really bad. <laughs> So I was quite I was quite surprised about that stat. No, I, I, I don't think I'm surprised. We we just seen what we went through under under Steve Bruce, which was for me the most frustrating period of my life. And we had 14 years of Ashley, but that was just really bad. So those stats don't surprise me. But um, you know, all the credit in the world has to go to Eddie Howe. I'm sure we'll talk about it and his transformation and what he's done. But there's a togetherness in this squad and they're fighting for every ball um, of every second. And um, yeah, long may it continue because it's just brilliant to watch. And for us getting up at 2am, it's, uh, it's it's very good. Yeah, it was a midnight kickoff in Queensland, 1am in 1 here, um, yeah. Victoria on a Monday morning. <laughs> that's, that's not great. But um, it's now five games unbeaten for Newcastle as well. So those two draws against Watford and Man United contribute to this this run. Eddie Eddie has now had 12 games and we've got 16 points. We've had four wins, four draws and four defeats. Uh, and we're 17th in the league. We're four points above Norwich with a game in hand. We're six above Watford on the same games and we're seven above Burnley, but have played two games more. But basically, it's back in our hands now for the first time in a long time. So... Kieran, I'm just going to ask you really this. What's your your kind of assessment of the general improvement under Eddie Howe over the last month or so? What do you think's clicked in that period of time? Do you think that sticks out for me? Can you remember when um, Bruce always used to use that one comment where it's like, it's a work in progress or, you know, these things take time. And I think he said that for about, what, a year and a half? And <laughs> there wasn't a change. Eddie said that the second week in, saying like, you know, like, the lads are still trying to get up to the fitness levels. Um, there's a transition period. I'm not going to give them all the information now. Um, I'm going to give it over a sustained period of time. You can start to see the big difference in that. And game by game, look much fitter, look much sharper. There's more of a game plan. There's an identity. Um, it, I don't know. It just, it's a, I'm really happy with what he's doing. Um, 
And yeah, I can, I've got all the faith in him. Yeah, the club put out uh, the 30-minute press conference that he did before the Villa game. And that was fantastic viewing. He, he just came across as so calm, so measured, so kind of respectful, um, very hardworking, kind of obsessed with Newcastle as well, obsessed with his job. He said that he's only he hasn't seen the city. He's only been to his hotel room, the training ground, and St James's Park. Um, and it's it's impressive as well that he's had to kind of have a, a big part in the transfers as well. And by all accounts, he was acting kind of like as a de facto director of football through that period as well. So I think that there is kind of the element that he isn't Steve Bruce and he's not going on holiday to Portugal. Uh, which automatically makes him um, gets him some brownie points. But Bobby, what's your um, take on what's clicked over the last month and what Eddie Howe's been doing? Um, yeah, just hard work. It's he's the he's the opposite to Steve Bruce in that you know there's no longer three day weeks, two hour you know an hour session here and then you nick off to Portugal or whatever it is that Steve Bruce did. I don't know what he did in his time here, but Eddie is a com- really into his job. It's 24-7 for him. He'd get there before the, the sun comes out, if the sun comes out in Newcastle, usually. Um, and, you know, he's on the training ground and he's he's working him hard. And I just think um, the thing that I'm liking more than anything, and he made mention of this, it's he wants to have a style. You know, he wants to play good football, but right now it's just about manufacturing these results and playing together and the togetherness and the unity of the boys. We saw Everton, which was a really good game for us. Everything was just looking good and we looked so dangerous in the attack and we put three past Everton. But then we can go back to this type of game where it wasn't a pretty game. It was frustrating. There was a lot of stoppages, um, a lot of tackles. and It was a real fight, but we could do that and manage it and still keep a clean sheet. So I think that plays into the fact that I think there's a, a bond now and I was the one that criticised the trip to Saudi. I didn't agree with it. But looking back on it now, I think that's just been the catalyst for what's become this bond with the players and fair play. You know, you put your hand up and say, well done. Mm. I think that could have gone uh, could have gone badly wrong if we hadn't beaten Leeds that Saudi trip. It was... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> they've kind of got away with one and it, it looks like it's it, it's come off, which is a real relief for us. The way I kind of view things lately is that Newcastle's been like a, a tanker ship and it's been going in one direction and it's needed to be turned around. And it's not easy to do that in such a short space of time. And you can see you can see that the work that's been put in and the fitness levels and the stamina of the players and gradually that ship has started to started to turn um and there has there's definitely been setbacks like cambridge was pretty bad but no one really cares about that now and um, because of results since then i think we all yeah. felt pretty down in the dumps after watford as well so for me the everton game was you know that, that i think that kieran trippier free kick is going to be um an iconic moment i think if the rest of the season goes the way we hope it's going to go I think it's going to be a real, a real iconic moment, and let's hope that he his injury isn't too bad because he's been. We're going to talk about him again later. We took, we spent most of the pod the other night talking about him, but let's just talk about him again because he's so good. But so yeah, and another thing Eddie's done is he's got this set system. So he's got his four three three, and he's got the players who seem to know which what job to do and in which position. Um, for this game. We had uh, Mankio and Dan Byrne came in for Target, who was ineligible, and for Lascelles, who was unwell. The midfield and the attack was the same, so there was no Bruno to some fans' disappointment because everyone's excited to see him. Um, Villa apparently had Coutinho and Buendia playing, but I didn't really see much of them, but they were apparently on the on the pitch, on the team sheet. Um, Kieran, when you were there at the match or when you were in the pub beforehand or whatever, when you saw the team, what did you think about that team yesterday for the for the game? Um, I was happy, really. I mean, look, I, I am a fan of Bruno and I have watched, like, I do watch a lot of European football. I know how good he is, but you can't really, you know, you can't make an excuse for dropping someone from the midfield against, like, from the Everton game to just put him in. Um, everyone's currently deserves to be, who's in the starting level deserves to be in the starting level. 
Um, obviously, the one surprise was the cells. But, um, yeah, if he's unwell, he's unwell. Because he had a really good game against Everton. I've been one of his biggest critics over the past few weeks, but he actually was solid. Um, but then Dan Byrne came in and he didn't look out of place. But I was, yeah, I was happy. Happy. Bobby? Yeah, look, um, with LaSalle's being sick, you, Dan Byrne was a natural, thank God we got him in the last minute of the transfer window because <laughs> not getting a centre-back would have been disastrous. But, yeah, he came in and looked like a brick wall. He's emptied his pockets and Coutinho and Bundia and Ollie Watkins are all falling out. So, no, he did really well. Um, and Mankio is a really good player um, as well. So I was pretty happy, like, the necessary changes – um, I'm actually glad, like, I've got full trust in Eddie now um, in terms of he'll do the right thing by Bruno, not just put him into the wolves and, and burn him out. He'll actually gradually integrate him and we'll see the best of Bruno probably towards the end of the year, um, which I think is is good so long as we're out of relegation trouble. I think that's fine. Um, but, yeah, no, couldn't, I was pretty happy with the team, to be honest. So the actual match itself, we've already made reference to this. It really wasn't a good game. It was it was a cold, wet, kind of scrappy day at St. James's Park. It looked pretty cold and rainy. And the match was equally kind of disjointed and scrappy. Uh, it wasn't pretty viewing at all. The referee was kind of constantly pulling up for fouls all the time. Um, you gave seven yellow cards and it wasn't re- didn't really seem to be like a game like that. It wasn't a dirty game particularly. He just seemed to be pulling up for everything. I don't know whether he'd kind of um, set set a stall out early and then he had to keep on keep on pulling things up, but it was it, I don't think that that helped with the, the, the actual match. Um, the kind of standard of the match was epitomized by the fact St. Maximan had only had three touches of the ball a quarter of the way through the game on 22 minutes. Commentator pointed that out. So, Kieran, I'll probably come to you first for this as well. So, do you think the match, do you think it might have been a little bit of a hangover from the, from the elation of the Everton game? Because that was such a high and everyone was in such a, such a positive, bouncing mood after that. Or do you think it was just a case of the teams cancelling each other out a bit? Or... Do you even care because we won? Um, it was a mixture of a lot of things, really. Um, I think first of all, Craig Pawson, he was like really, really like trigger happy with his whistle, and that certainly then kind of filtered towards the crowd because we were so buzzing before the game and the atmosphere was great. But then about ten minutes in, we were like, right, this is a slog. Like it's it's just stop, start, stop, start. People were getting injured. He was blowing his whistle for fouls. And it was like, right, we're, we're in for a bit of a scrappy game today. But I think we also benefited from that because that didn't allow Villa to be as, I don't know, fruitful in attack. Like, I watched them against Leeds during the week and Coutinho had an absolute play in their game. Um, so it kind of, like, didn't allow them to get into a good flow. Um, obviously not ourselves as well. Like you mentioned, Maxi didn't have to touch, but we benefited from that because we've got the players that are probably dig in and do the ugly stuff, whereas the likes of Buendia, Coutinho, even Ramsey, who's been great the past few games, I don't think they're their type of players. They like to be on the ball, and they like to, you know, be in a particular rhythm, and it disrupted that. So it benefited from winning away, and like you said, we've got the three points, so it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it was, a, it was a totally different game from the Everton performance, and you were, it's interesting what you were saying there about that kind of game suiting our players, because... A month ago, we wouldn't have said that because we've dropped 21 points from winning positions. So it just is another example of the way that the team has changed and the way that the players and some previously like very much maligned players have really stepped up and have started digging in. And if they can continue this, they're, they're really going to be well thought of, I think, come the end of the season. Bobby, thoughts on the game? You watched it back just before the pod. Yeah, Kieran took the words out of my mouth. Um Absolutely. I think it was set up by Eddie to, to slow them down. The games against Leeds was just all action, attack, 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 and it allowed their creative players to have time and space on the ball and do what they wanted to do. But let's be fair, Coutinho and Bundia, they're not up for a fight. They're not up for a scrap. And as soon as it was like that, I think the intensity of the crowd coupled with the intensity of what was going on on the pitch just shut them out and then... They had nothing going forward. I watched the, rewatched the game before the pod. Other than when they put the ball in the back of the net with an offside, there wasn't any other time where you felt like they were actually going to put the ball in the net. So 
for all their attacking prowess and, you know, the reviews before the game and all that sort of stuff, um, that kind of game, I think Eddie would have wanted it that way and the boys yeah, dug in and, and fought, which was great. And it's what it's what good managers do, isn't it? You don't just go with the same, um, you come with the same formation and the same system, but you don't go with the same mindset in every game. And each game demands different in terms of game management. And that's something again that until the last month Newcastle have just not been able to do. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Kieran Trippier now again because I think I might be in love with him. <laughs> Newcastle got ahead. Newcastle got ahead with another free kick from our new right back, who is comfortably the best right back that I've ever seen at Newcastle. Um, Kieran, thoughts on your namesake here? Then, how do you think he's settled in, and do you love him as much as we do? Yeah, I, I've had to confess my love to my girlfriend. The trips, like, um, I've made her <laughs> fully aware. Um, is she is he, she a Geordie? Because I'm sure she understands. She's from. Her family are from Jarrow. Um, she's from Durham. That's where she was brought up. But she's she's an adopted Geordie, to say the least. Right. Um, she gets it. Then. Okay. She gets it. Um, but yeah, trips. He's just. You can tell that that experience of winning the Liga and being in the England team is just it's there for, for everyone to see. Um, he's got his own game plan. Most the team's got his game, like got their game plan. Um, he's just. He brings a breath of fresh air to back four, a real breath of fresh air. And that's not just defensively, it's going forward as well. It just gives us something that we've not had in God knows how long. Hmm. Bobby, yeah. you weren't on the you weren't on the pod the other day when we were talking about him, so I'm gonna let you talk about him now again, because I think everyone should talk about him. Yeah, no, he's he's quality, he's class, he's different to what we've ever had, I think, because he is that experienced winner and it comes through on the pitch. There was two moments in the game that I saw when I rewatched the game was one when Shah hit deck and there was a bit of a pause in the game. You see Trippier yelling to Wood and he's saying, Woodsy, lift the energy, keep the energy up. Um, which, because he, we were, we had the ascendancy at that stage and, you know, all the tackles were flying in and he sort of relayed that. And the other one was when he scored the goal, he, he caught a comment from the speakers where he said, um, now keep your heads now keep your head. So now it's like, you know, be calm. And we haven't had that. Like, you know, we've lost 21 points for winning positions because we haven't had someone like Kieran Trippier. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, he's a fantastic player. I think you guys summed him up in the last pod more than <laughs> I could now. Um, we all love him. He's a star and hopefully his ankle injury is not too bad. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think... Because I think it was actually a different injury that he picked up in this game than the one he was dealt with. So it, it seems like he got his foot stamped on. Mm. Um, do you think that this injury was worth the risk of the... Because obviously he scored the winning goal. But do you think it was a good idea to play him in this game, Bobby? Or would you have maybe rested him, given the fact he got injured? Uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing. He scored the winning goal, so yes, we need we needed the three points. <laughs> um, we ought to have taken three points um, for him to miss a couple of weeks or a couple of games. Um, so, yeah, like if he's fit enough, you, you just let him go. He knows his body. You're not going to argue with him. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So both fullbacks went off. So this is Newcastle, so nothing straightforward. So... Trippier comes in, he's absolutely phenomenal for four games, and then it looks like he might have a bit of an injury layoff. Mankio, who would be first in line to replace him at right back if he does have a layoff, also got injured playing at left back. Uh, luckily, we've got Target coming back, but that was um, those fullback injuries. What I, I feel they changed the game, and that led to a little bit of a period of sustained pressure for Aston Villa in the, fir in the first part of the second half. Um, and I think really it was until there was a something happened in the crowd on about 73 or 74 minutes when something happened in the Gallagher. I don't know whether somebody had taken ill or something, but that was the moment, I think, when Newcastle managed to regroup a bit because before then, Villa had had their disallowed goal by, um, by VAR. Newcastle actually had a little bit of a, um, a benefit from VAR for once. Um what Kieran in the actual stadium? What's the experience of VAR been like this season? Um, 
you've obviously got the big screen, so you're aware of what's going on. Um, but it hasn't really went our way this season. You know, with the Edison tackle on Fraser, finished name one. Um, but it was more hope yesterday than anything else, especially for their goal. Um, it was going on for that long. It was like, right, well, there's something clearly wrong with the goal here. And then what they're looking for. Um, so it wasn't really frustration for us, but I was directly below the Villa fans and they were frustrated, um, especially when they were giving it the big and when they did score. Um, and thought it was in at first. Um, but it has been a lot of frustration, obviously, this season because a lot of decisions that probably should have went our way haven't. So it was nice for it yesterday to you know, go our way for once. And obviously, in the stadium, you don't see the replays, do you? So you're kind of sitting there wondering. And with the Villa goal yesterday, they the Newcastle players didn't really appeal. I think they thought it was offside, it was a goal as well. So is that what's it like sitting in the crowd just for that period of time? Are you kind of like texting people asking what's going on, or is it just a case of watching the screen? I wish I could text people. The signal in St James is the worst. On <laughs> get like anyone. So I want to re- refresh Twitter and have a look, but. Um, I think you just talk amongst yourselves, even if you don't know who it is, like you're talking about what it might be or what's going on. But um, they actually on the image yesterday they showed the offside um, in the line getting drawn. Um, and there's a few like you know groans from the Villa fans when they seen it was like maybe it's like the front of his boot or whatever it might have been. Um, so you do actually, I think they're starting to show them now at the grounds, like All just right. the of things. Um, so yeah, it was relief, really. Mm. It still just seems like a mad system to me that someone can score a goal that's that far away from someone who's, I just think, I know that it's like, it's supposed to be like mathematical now because you can't argue with the line, but it just like, I know, and I know we benefited from that, but they don't seem to quite get it right. Do they think in the Premier League at the moment? No, not at all. I, I remember when it, we, the A-League was the first to introduce this and that season Dibby won't like me saying this, but victory won a, a title because of uh, a bad VAR decision. And um, we hated it. And then they introduced it to the Premier League and it hasn't picked up any time since. So I, I hate it. Just let humans be humans and make mistakes. Um, linesmen, officials, let's just get it on, you know. But unfortunately, I think it's here to stay. Mm. Yeah, they're going to have to try and... I think it is here to stay, so they're going to have to try and make the best of it because, yeah, it's like... Whatever they're doing at the moment is doesn't quite seem to be working. What about Bobby? What did you think about the impact that losing both of those fullbacks had on the uh, on our team at that point and on the game? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know we were down. You know, Matty Target would have been their first choice left back, and then Manquillo Manquillo did really really well. But um, when he went down, it sort of got. Um, he hobbled on for a little while after that, but then he came off and Dummett, who's not the quickest, um, is the game against Leeds. We, we found out how he can get turned pretty easily. I think his body is, um, you know, had a few injuries, so he's probably slowed down even more than he did. And he had, had no pace anyway, so um, poor Paul. Um, and then Kraft comes on who, look, he tries hard and you, you can't slate him for that, but he's just not the quality of, well, not even Trippier. He's not even a... I don't think he's Premier League. So it definitely shifted the game. But I think that incident you talked about where the, the crowd, something happened in the crowd, anyhow, got the, the players around for the drinks break and was just yelling some instructions and they calmed down after that. And I think after that, it was pretty um pretty good for us. Yeah, nothing happened after that. I think we we'll probably would have seen Bruno a bit earlier if we hadn't already had to use those two subs. So that was a little bit of a disappointment because... There was that period where I felt like and we were kind of losing control in the mid in the midfield a little bit just before they scored the disallowed goal. So that could have happened, but it's the way it goes. And Bruno will definitely be getting his, his minutes soon. Now, talking, about kind of... the, talking about the midfield, can we just mention Joel Eden again? Like he's just a he's my favorite um he's my favorite story from this year. Joel Litton's just become Patrick Vieira, so long as he doesn't get in the eighteen yard box. But his performance yesterday was just you know, he was my man of the match. He's just Herculean in the midfield. He just keeps the ball well. He's going into all tackles. And, yeah, I think he had the most touches for us as well. So, yeah, transformed into this midfield general from a striker that couldn't score. So, it's all good. I was going to talk about Joe Linton a little bit later. But, yeah, let's just do it now. So, he had more touches than anyone. He had 44 touches. 
he won the most duels. He won 12 duels, which seems remarkable. Mm-hmm. And he made the most tackles. He made six tackles. There was a moment in the first half where he was defending the near post from a corner and the corner swung in and he just headed it away to like the halfway line pretty much. He, it's, I can't believe what's actually happened to him. I find it astonishing. I never, ever thought that was likely to happen. Kieran, what's your thoughts on the renaissance of Joe Linton? I love him. <laughs> Honestly, I love him. Um, I wasn't one to completely get on his back when things weren't going too well. Um, I thought there was something there with him. And Bruce playing him as a left midfielder just never worked. Um, but yeah, it's it's a different person altogether. Um, there's confidence in him now in this position he's in. You know he's probably going to win the header. You know he's probably going to win the tackle. He's going to shield the ball well. Um, and then these stats that you just mentioned before, it, it kind of seems to just be every game now. It just it's it's absolutely mental. And I think a lot of people are thriving off it as well. Like for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we're talking about Joel in the minute, but I think his renaissance is then put a rock, a rocket of um, Willock's horse as well, because Willock, again, he was great yesterday. So I think it's just his performance is just showing, like, you know, if you put the effort in, you know, the rewards will come. Yeah. Willock um, had a... I saw on Twitter that he had a 100% pass completion. I don't know if that's nonsense or what, but I don't remember him putting any, putting any passes astray or anything. He obviously had the a good attack and run for the free kick as well. Um, so he he's had good second halves against Leeds and against Everton, but that was definitely a more rounded all-round performance from him. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really positive signs that he... And it's just the whole team, isn't it, playing with confidence? But I think you're right there, Kieran, about the, the impact Joe Linton has on the whole midfield. And... He's he is he has locked that position in now, hasn't he? He's got to be seen as a. It's not like a joke anymore. He does actually it stopped being a joke about five or six weeks ago. He does actually have to be seen as a, the starting our starting central midfielder now. One hundred percent, and I think obviously him and Bruno, obviously being from the same country, is only really going to help Bruno feed into the team as well because it's taking the pressure off Shelby a lot. Um, and I think well, probably even Bruno coming in, you know, putting the competition up and. Julian's probably my first name on the team sheet in the midfield now. Um and allow the other passing midfielders like Shelby and Bruno, they can come in after him. Um because he t- he relieves the pressure from them. Yeah. Bobby, you you've been like Kieran as well. You've always been a big um you've always seen something in there. Yeah, I've loved him ever since he was at Hoffenheim in Germany. And then when we got him, I was pretty excited, but he was Steve Bruce. Um I say anyway, but no, just I didn't see him being this midfield destroyer either, though. Like, to be fair, like, this isn't anything anyone predicted, but I, I agree with Kieran. Who would have thought he's the first name in that midfield? So mm-hmm. we've got a £50 million signing from Leon, who's from Brazil and has got these massive names, but I'd put Joe Litton on the team sheet first because what he does is he makes it easier for the other midfielders. And we're seeing even Shelby now being a different version of himself because... He's got the faith that Joel Linton's going to be there to protect whatever mistakes or whatever happens. So, yeah, I, I just I had the biggest smile on my face re-watching the game before because it's just, you know, um, incredible turnaround and something. He's just such a nice guy as well. You can just see it. So it's good that uh, he's come through. You know what's tough as well? It's like getting to the point where it's like he's our canty. You know what he does, at, obviously at Chelsea, he does exactly what Joe Linton's doing here at Newcastle at the minute. He relieves yeah. the pressure, he gets the ball up the field, he keeps the ball well. It's like, are we actually saying that though? Like, mm. you never thought we would. But it still it's seems like a joke, doesn't it? It still seems like, oh yeah, everyone's still laughing, it's going to fall down. But no, that, that was five weeks ago where it was a joke. It's yeah. no longer a joke. It's He's up there now. He's got to be taken seriously. And I think uh, he's, he's probably going to save his quite a lot of money in the summer as well, assuming we stay up because he can definitely play that position long-term, I think. So just, we've already touched a, bit, a little bit on Villa. So they were, they were terrible. Uh, Everton were not, not much good the other night either, but they didn't look likely at all in the last kind of 25 minutes of the, of the game. There was a bit where Gerard was like, <laughs> his body language was absolutely appalling. You probably won't have seen this on the, on the, at the stadium, Kieran, but, he was just slumped in the dugout. And this was with a couple of minutes left to go. And I, my thought there was that you, you never would get 
Eddie Howe doing that, you know? Or uh, he, there was only one goal in it, and he just was his body language. It was absolutely terrible. So, what was your? Um, we've already mentioned that Coutinho was practically invisible. What did you make of Villa in this game, Kieran? Um, I was shocked, and I think Gerard said the same thing. Um, you know what you've just said there kind of shocks us as well because I follow Rangers as well as Newcastle. I say I follow them, you know, the preferred Scottish team, and I watched a lot of them last season. And Gerard's always up, like you know, upbeat, and he's always like fiery, especially until the last minute of the game. Um, but yeah, yesterday they were a shadow of themselves that they've been recently. Um, Dinier didn't really, he wasn't effective, and other than the goal that the you know created, which got disallowed, um, that was the only time he was effective. Um, Mings just, ugh, I really, I don't get how he gets in the England team. I really don't. Um, and then. Jacob Ramsey, like he's been the past few games, he's been carrying the ball up the field. He's been really like dangerous, and I was actually scared yesterday, like of how buzzing they would have been on the back of the Leeds game. Um, and McGinn himself, McGinn was lucky not get a second yellow card um, for a tackle on Craft, which then he eventually got took off. Like we've really frustrated them, and I think it showed. Like even when they were getting up the, the pitch, it, Watkins was just non-existent and they had nowhere to go which is I think that's evident in the, f- the fact that Dubs had like one I wouldn't even say safe to make when he did the diving header like the Shea given esque header um, mm. that's the only thing you really had to do and that's quite puzzling you know if you're on the Villa if you're a Villa fan it's quite strange in comparison to how they played the past two games mm. Bobby? Yeah I think Stevie G was um, just frustrated by the way they were playing and he said after the game, he goes, "We just that can't happen again." You know, it, it can't like the. I think he was more about the players' attitudes and and everything. I think when the going gets tough, he found out who gets going, and there's not many of them, to be honest. And um, yeah, so I think he was just frustrated, just frustrating from him. And but that's us. So we allowed we we made that happen. So I mean, I've I've heard a few comments on Twitter that are oh, you're lucky that Leeds were poor, you're lucky that Everton were poor, and we're lucky that Villa were poor. Well, there's a common denominator there, and it's us, you know, and Eddie Howe and what he's been doing tactically and and everything like that. So, you know, I think um, I'm not too worried about what Steve G does at Aston Villa from now on, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty happy with Eddie Howe. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get to Man of the Match then. We've already talked a little bit, well, we've talked quite a lot about Joe Linton. We've talked about Kieran again, who went off at just after half time. We've talked a little, we've touched on Willick. Who let's just talk about first of all, we'll talk about Dan Byrne because I think he was brilliant in this game as well. Um, stepped in, minimal fuss. It was a bit like with Target, just stepped in, did his job. He's quite clearly a, a good Premier League defender, kept Watkins quiet. It was a nice moment where he pulled part of Tyrone Mings's shirt off him and threw it into the, into the crowd, which was good. Uh, what was your thoughts on that big Dan Byrne's performance, Kieran? Um so happy because not only does he win every header but he was so composed like with the ball getting out the ball out the back or if the ball was you know coming in a bit fast pace really composed and we don't get that with the cells there's a bit of panic sometimes um but i think that shows from like his time at brighton you know potter he's his philosophy is playing out from the back and you can tell dan burns came from that setup because he was just so comfortable coming out from the back and it looked like he'd been playing with us for a good, well, the rest of the season, really. Like, the start of the, start of the season, he just slotted straight in. Yeah, it's strange seeing such a big guy. Um, <laughs> it's such a cliche, isn't it? He's got good feet for a big man, but he does, Bobby. Yeah, he's Peter Crouch, but a defender version, isn't he? Like, he's just, um, he looks so so good with the, the ball at his feet, and he sort of slouched a little bit um, in his running, but... Um, when he stands up next to Ryan Fraser, you see how tall he, he really is or how short Ryan Fraser is. But no, he was brilliant. Like the one thing I heard when we got him is he's, I don't expect headers and don't, he's not imposing. He's not, you know, a physical presence, but oh, the game against Villa, he was, you know, he was there and everything that came in the box, he got out and maybe it's playing for his boyhood club and he just wants to do so well. And that's, that's what did it. But no, just what Kieran did as well. Like, he just got calm every time he had the ball at his feet, which we haven't had for a long time. Let's have a man of the match then. So I'll go first. I think Joe Linton was man of the match. I think Byrne was good. Uh, Willick was really good, but 
big big Joe Linton in the middle was just uh, on another level. So he's mine, Kieran. Um, I probably would have agreed with you, but I think I've given it for God knows how long now. Um, and I feel like just Dan Byrne with the occasion, you know, it could have been easy to be nervous coming into your boy hookup for your first time when you were released years ago, and how, like, how calm he was coming into that back four. I've got to say, Dan Byrne. Bobby. Yeah, I think uh, Dan Byrne got the official one from the club, but I, I love Big Joe's game. Uh, he doesn't have to do much to to impress me, but when he puts in a performance like that, yeah, he's he's got me. Excellent. Any final thoughts before a wrap up? Then um, who plays right back next week? <laughs> uh, it's probably going to be Kraft, isn't it? By this, by the looks of things, he was all right against Man United. To be fair to him, but yeah, West Ham. Are, Pretty good. Different kettle so. of fish, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking, you know, if Manquillo got up, he could go right back and then we could have Dan Byrne left back and LaSalle's back in the centre of defence or something like that. Or Target comes back, I suppose. But, yeah, I don't know. Can Target play right back? <laughs> uh, maybe Matt Ritchie can play right back. No, that's not. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's not even a funny joke. <laughs> Right on that note, I think we'll wrap it up there. So please follow us on Twitter at TuneUnderPod, subscribe on YouTube, and visit our website, TuneUnder.com. The, the Aussie-based fans are really going to want to keep up with us over the next week or so because we've got a big interview with the Australian Jeff Stelling, Adam Peacock, coming up, which is really big for us. So he's the Fox Sports presenter. He's the he was the face of the English Premier League coverage in Australia through the kind of mid two thousands two thousand and tens, and he's a massive Newcastle fan for some reason. So we're gonna uh, be speaking to him, which is a really big deal for us. So thanks, Bobby. We'll speak to you later. Thanks, Jack, and everyone listen to this guy's music because it's uh, Belter. Yep. A special thanks to you, Kieran. I think after the last month or so, we can start to finally think that everything is going to be fine. So in your own words, don't worry, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Kieran. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs>